So for those of you who are uh, visiting with us uh, this morning, as Matt said, we're going through the gospel according to Matthew. Last week, we, we read this. We read that Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he, he, says, he basically says the, the world is ripe to hear the gospel. Because the people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then this morning, right after that passage, we see what Jesus does. He, he sends those who are closest to him, he sends them out in the world, out into the harvest. And if I had to summarize where we've been, particularly the weeks coming up to Christmas, the, the weeks after Christmas, if I... If I had to summarize what we've been seeing, it's a picture of, of what Jesus meant, what John the Baptist meant, what Jesus meant when, when they said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ now has been revealing, working out what the kingdom of God is. It's centered on his person. What he does, how he does it, he's healing people, he's delivering people, he's forgiving people, he's saving people, and as he works, he's calling a people to join him, to extend the kingdom. It's really what the Bible has been all about from Genesis 1 to now. I mean, if you really think about it, that's what the Bible is all about. God creates Adam and Eve, and he basically says, I, I want you to go out into the world and extend the kingdom. And he comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, not so that you can enjoy my blessings, but so that you can be a blessing to the world. And he comes to Moses, and he, he, he brings a people from a family of 12 tribes or 12 individuals, makes them into a nation, and he says... I'm going to release you from bondage to uh, the slavery of Egypt. And I'm going, to, I'm going to release you out into the world so that the whole world would know that I am Lord. And you can go through the whole Old Testament like that. And now with the coming of Christ, there is a new phase in this understanding, in this revelation of the kingdom. But it's all about God's plan for the world. It's all about God's plan for me and you, the church, and Christians across the world. So let's just read uh, Matthew chapter 10. It's printed for you in your bulletin. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. Um, and there's some particular things going on in these verses that are particular to that time. But we are going to take what Jesus does with the, with the apostles, the 12 apostles, and, and see what it means for us as the New Testament church today. Let me read Matthew chapter 10, God's word. Beginning in verse 1, he called to him, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. And of course, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out. 
instructing them to go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. For you received without paying, now give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. For truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, the kingdom of God has come. Help us to understand what it means to live in it. Help us to understand who Jesus is in light of it. And help us to seek to serve you and know you better this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So what we see here, it's, it's a pre, if you've been in church at all, it's a pretty familiar passage where Jesus calls his 12 disciples. He gives them authority. By the way, it's his authority that he is delegating to them. And he sends them out. Now, it is important to know that Jesus has more than 12 disciples, even at this time. These turn out to be apostles with a capital A. They've been with Jesus since the very beginning. And they are like us in certain ways, but in other ways, they're very different. So let me just set the stage there so we understand what's going on. Just a few things. Jesus chooses 12. Again, it recalls the 12 tribes of Israel, and it signals that Jesus is now reconstituting, bringing back together the people of God. But he's bringing them back together, not around the law, not around the temple, not around sacrifices. He's bringing them together around Jesus himself. And he begins with the 12 apostles who become foundational for the New Testament church. It's part of the reason why we read the Apostles' Creed every Sunday just about. It's the apostles' teaching. It is interesting. He chooses 12 at the very beginning, and it expands, and he, he doesn't need them. He doesn't have to have them. He could do whatever he wants whenever he wants. He, part of the reason is because this is the way he's chosen to build the church, using people. We don't know much about these particular individuals. We think we kind of know more than we do, but we really, we really don't know much about Matthew. He wrote this gospel. He was a tax collector. We know a little bit about Peter. We know a little bit about James. We know a little bit about Judas, of course. We don't really want to be known as a Judas. We know a little bit less about Philip, a little bit less about Andrew and Thomas, and, and there's some guys here that we don't know anything about. But this is what we do know about them. We know they're different from one another. And we also know all of them are inadequate in themselves to do what Jesus calls them to do. 
They're inadequate. It's not really about them. It's about what Jesus will do through them. And God does use them powerfully in the world that they live. We believe we're a church built on the apostles' teaching. So what they did matter. They're told specifically, and this is unique, verses 5 and 6, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, understand, at this point in salvation history, the primary focus of the Messiah, the primary focus of the Lord Jesus Christ is on Israel because Israel is foundational for the apostles, even as the apostles are foundational for us. We already know that Jesus cares about the whole world. We know know from the Old Testament that God cared about the Gentiles. We know from this gospel in and of itself that Jesus performed miracles, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. But this is how God has decided to establish his church, moving from the people of Israel and then extending out into the world. And for now, these 12 apostles must first go to Israel. And this is what I think is important for us to realize. This is another sign of of God's grace. Israel, who God has done so much for over the course of thousands of years, even now, they are lost. They are sheep without a shepherd. So the apostles here, the 12, they are unique the church is going to be built on what they do, but they are the new Israel. And we can take what they did here and apply it to our situation today, 2,000 years later. And see, this is what I want to focus on for the rest of our time here this morning. There's a pattern here that can help us understand who God is, what he's doing. There's a pattern here that helps us understand who we are and what we're called to do, how we're called to do it, and what we can expect when we're doing it. And I'm gonna have to summarize a lot of this this morning, but I wanna talk about the, the what of their calling. I wanna talk about the how. And then I, I want us to better understand what we should expect, okay? So first of all, He basically tells the 12 apostles to do two things, proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. Proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has entered into this world, that he is Lord, that he has all authority, and he's begun the process of making all things right. He comes in grace. He comes in mercy. He comes for sinners, not the righteous. He comes for people like me and you. And he offers them, among many other things, He offers them forgiveness. That was the whole point of the paralytic being put down through the roof. Your sins are forgiven. He offers them security, power, and a future. And that is really important for the things that that these people are called to do. It's a very simple message to proclaim the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. That Jesus Christ has has come to offer you forgiveness, to come to offer you security, to to offer you power. You realize this power, the things that they're about to do, if somebody asked them to do it that wasn't Jesus, they couldn't do it. They, they they, They couldn't do it. 
It's a very simple message, but it's very hard to accept. And I, I want to bear down on this for a moment. And the reason why this simple message is very hard to accept is because what it says about the people that need to accept it is that we are helpless, we are hopeless, we are in great need. Because I want you to think about this. Do you think Jairus, who we talked about last week, who lost his daughter, do you think he would have gone to Jesus if his daughter didn't die? I don't know. Or the lady who is suffering with the issue of blood for 12 years. Do you think she would have been in a position when she heard about Jesus, if she didn't think she needed Jesus, would she have gone to Jesus? It's the same with the blind. It's the same with the lepers. And this is what I was reminded this is why the message is very simple. Every, I, I, I just told you what we're supposed to proclaim. You've heard it. You know it. Everybody here. This is why it's hard. And it reminds me of what Tim Keller said, and I think it's really important for us to hear. He says, the reason the gospel is hard is because all you need is need. All you need is nothing. And most people don't have it. That's the proclamation. But he tells them to do more than just proclaim the kingdom of God is here. He tells them to, to do more than just say Jesus Christ is Lord. He tells them in his authority to go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. Now, okay. Okay. This, I've practiced this in front of the mirror. It didn't go that well, so this could be trouble. Not really. I say a lot of things that are not true. This is not one of them. I am one of those. Bear with me here, because I know we've got a lot of different types of people here. We've got a lot of visitors here. Bear with me. I'm one of those people, and I boldly say this, okay? I'm one of those people that believe that the Bible teaches that, that these supernatural, miraculous, charismatic gifts, they've ceased because they're not necessary anymore because of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when I say that, when I say that, don't hear what I'm not saying. Because I'm saying it for a particular reason. Don't hear that, 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 that God can't and won't do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, which includes healings and, and includes miracles, includes all sorts of things. I mean, a real true, this is a true story. A true story, last summer when I was on sabbatical, one of my favorite theologians, a friend of mine who's nearing the end of his life, a reform scholar that's written so many books, you could never read them all. And even if you could read them, you wouldn't want to because they're so scholarly. Last summer, I spent a seven days with him, five days with him. And he showed me a room in his house where he and some other Christians, he's the most reformed man I know. You think I'm reformed? He's reformed. He showed me a room in his house where he and some friends cast out a demon. And I'm here to tell you that I believe him. The reason why I'm, I'm not emphasizing that is because most of you, to include me, are not going to cast out any demons. Most, if not all of you, are not going to lay your hand on somebody and they're going to be healed. 
Most of you don't know any lepers. This is why I'm, I'm telling you this. What does it mean for us to go out in the authority of Jesus and heal the sick and cleanse lepers and raise the dead and cast out demons because we are supposed to be doing what the apostles are doing. And I'll explain that in a minute. It doesn't, what does it mean for us to go out in the authority of Christ, first of all? We're to go in the authority of Christ. It doesn't mean we're bosses. It doesn't mean we're kings. It means we're to go out in the name of Jesus, in the power of his name, in, the, in his love, in his mercy, in his compassion, not in our own power, not in our own love, not in our own mercy. It means that we are filled up with what Jesus Christ has given to us, which means, by the way, that we're no longer victims, we're no longer weaklings, we're no longer woe is me. We go out as people who are being put back together in Christ because he's putting us back together and we're able to proclaim the work of Jesus and show it to other people even though we are weak, even though we might have been mistreated, even though things might be very, very, very difficult for us in the present moment. We go out in the authority and the name of Christ to speak of other people about what Jesus Christ has come to do and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven and your sins are not counted against you. You are clean. You have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ and God the Father looks at you as acceptable and honored and valued. He's given you security, meaning nobody can take that away from you. Nothing can happen to you outside of God's will. He's given you a power, his power, and he's given you a future. So to demonstrate the kingdom of God today is to come alongside one another, even as Galatians 6.1 says, to, to bear one another's burdens. It means to see other people as Jesus Christ sees them. It means to pray for one another. It means to honor others above yourselves. It means to submit to one another. It means to love and be committed to other people. It means, it means to be patient with sinners, but it means to call out sin when sin is clear, and it means to tell people the truth. That's what it means. And I could, I could go through here. I'm gonna do this very quickly. What does it mean for me to heal the sick? It means for me to seriously pray for them that God would heal them. It means for me when I know that they have family members that are suffering and even dying that I am praying for them to help them through the time. I, I, think, I think healing the sick could be feeding the hungry. Helping the poor. What does it mean to raise the dead? That's an easy one. It's for me to be faithful to share the gospel with people who do not know him. Because every one of you that know Jesus today, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you are alive. What does it mean to cleanse lepers? Lepers were people on the outside, ass outcasts, the lonely, the poor, the weak. It means to befriend them. It means to honor them as human beings, serve them, help them. It means when visitors come in the door that they may not know anything about Jesus Christ, they may not know anything about Jesus, that you're reaching out to them and extending to them and making an outsider feel like an insider. 
Casting out demons is not hard either. The Bible, more times than not, particularly Paul, says the power behind idols, idols of the heart, idols of the mind, idols of the will, the power behind those idols are demons. So the one thing that we can do is deal with our own idols of the heart, mind, and will, and to help other people deal with their idols. This is at least part of what it means to heal, to raise, to cleanse, and to cast out. And look, God doesn't, we shouldn't care about getting any notice. We shouldn't care about making sure people know that we're healing the sick and raising the dead, cleansing the leper or casting out demons because the end of verse eight, you received without money, now give without pay. This is what you freely received from Jesus. Now go out best you can and do what he's done for you. I, I, I talk to, I do, I talk to way too many people that do not think that the Lord can use them. And what, we'll t- I'll wait for that. You get something to wait for. That's the what, proclaim and demonstrate. Go out into the world because the harvest is ripe. You see, the problem is we go out and we look at people in the world and we think those people don't want to hear about Jesus so we never share Jesus to those people. And the problem is you don't even know and you don't know until you try. And we just assume that people aren't interested in Jesus. Here's the how. It's very simple. Again, but hard. Acquire no gold, silver, copper for your belts, no bag for your journey. Don't, you, I guess you get one tunic, not two. Sandals, staff, for the laborer deserves his wages. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be prepared. It means that we can trust our heavenly Father. God gives us all we need to do what he's called to do. Let me ask you this. If you've been forgiven, what else do you need? If you've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what else do you need? If you have total security, no matter what happens to you, you're going to be with Christ, what else do you need? If you have a future, what else do you need? I mean, I, I do, this is all about practical trust in God. This is do we trust God enough? And those same people, this might hurt a little bit, but it's in love. Those people that look at me and they tell me, who I know know Jesus, and they tell me that God couldn't use me because of my past. That God couldn't use me um, because of some of the things that I've struggled with. That God can't use me uh, because of the, the way that, 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 that I act or live or, or do certain things. Can, can I tell you why you're thinking that way? And this is biblical, so you can get mad at God. Don't get mad at me. It's because you don't trust God like you need to. You see, we're being too focused on ourselves, our situations, and our circumstances. I want you to think about the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, that when Jesus tells them to go out and do the things that I have done, that's exactly what he's telling them, go out and do the things that I have done. And if they were thinking about themselves, if they had any sense, they would have said, we can't do that because they couldn't by themselves. They do it in Jesus, and they do it because Jesus has done it for them. You you know, this is another point that I really don't have the time to make, but I'm gonna make it anyway. You you know, we're often hindered by things in the world that stop us from doing what Jesus wants us to do. 
right? Drink too much, um, stay up too late. I don't know. Don't read your Bible. You know, what, what, think about things that you do. I, I want you to think about this. We're often hindered not by worldly things that we do. That's true. But we're also hindered by worldly thought processes. Oh, God can't use me. I don't know how to do that. Or God can't use me. I've, I've, uh, ooh, I'm going to get in trouble. God can't use me. I've been divorced. That's wrong. God can't use me. I'm single. That's wrong. God can't use me because of certain situations. That's not right. That's, that may be the way the world evaluates you, but that is not the way God the Father evaluates you. He gives you Jesus Christ and all his blessings, and he says, you can do exactly what I want you to do, now go out and do it. That's the how, folks. Trust God. It's, it's, just, in a, it's just following up on, on uh, the Sermon on the Mount where he says, those who seek God and his righteousness and his kingdom, all these things will be added to him. It's practical trust. God can be trusted. Lastly, and I'll I'll move quickly on this. What should we expect? This is where I think we get caught up to. What should we expect when we go and we proclaim and we demonstrate the kingdom of God and and we do it in a way that's trusting God? what What should we expect? Let me read it to you. Verses 11 through 15. Whatever town or village you enter, whatever person you go meet, Find out if they're worthy. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. And stay there until you depart. Enter the house, enter the home, enter the place, greet it. If the house is is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone won't receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from their feet. Leave that town because it's going to be more bearable on the judgment uh, on on the last day for those who don't respond and I'll explain this in a minute, to you in acceptance. Let me just put it this way. What are you to expect? You're not to know what to expect. You should expect not knowing what's going to happen. You're to find out who wants to hear and see the good news. Find out who is interested in Jesus and don't assume they're not, by the way, worthy. It doesn't refer to the morally upright people. It doesn't doesn't refer to the successful people, the honorable people, the religious people. Personal merits are not in view. The, The worthy people are those who are willing to hear and are interested. And you do not know if they're willing to hear or interested if you don't talk about it. Those who receive us, they're not really receiving us, they're receiving Jesus. Those who don't receive us, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. And those who receive Christ receive peace, those who don't forfeit it. What's important to realize here is not everybody's going to accept the message and that doesn't mean that it's not successful. Some people will welcome the message. Some people will oppose the message. When when Matthew talks about shaking off the dust from one's feet, it's not a symbol of a lack of love. This is what it is. It's an acknowledgement that I have or you have done everything that you're supposed to do. And now it's up to the Lord. You've done what you're supposed to do. Success is not determined by how anyone else responds. Success is determined by whether or not 
You do what Jesus called you to do. And Jesus is communicating that our eternal destiny turns on a relationship to him. And we're to be his agents in proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And listen, we have to get better at knowing what Jesus Christ has provided us. It, it is a big deal that you're forgiven. It's a huge deal that you're forgiven. It is a big deal that you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is a big deal that you have security. Nobody can take that away. You have the power of Christ in you in the way that he wants. And you have a future that nobody... These children are experiencing the blessings of the kingdom of God. And they need to keep seeing it. Because if they keep seeing it, that's what they're going to demonstrate. It's a call for us. It's a privilege for us. It's a responsibility. And we are to think differently about the world. We're to think differently than the world. We're to think like Christ. And, and I, don't, I don't know about you folks, but, but we talked about this in the Sunday school class this morning. When Jesus Christ is at work in your life, even in the bad days, even in the difficult days, when you realize what Jesus Christ has given you, you can't help but be a light to other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that the kingdom of God has come, that we are living in the midst of the kingdom because Jesus Christ is here and Jesus Christ reigns. And even though there are many days where we don't feel like it or we don't think that things are going the way they're supposed to go, Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. And help us to serve you. And help us to go out into the world and proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus Christ is here. It's in his name we pray. Amen.